Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. We have an amazing show set up for today, and the reason it's so amazing is because my friend Bobby Govanis, who I've known since, gosh, trying to go back. We've been trying to figure this out for a while. I met her husband in 1995. Bobby's been on the show before. Um, so we've known each other at least through 1995. And she's recently put together an anthology book called Breaking Through, Reinventing After Failure. Bobby is one of those people that when you have her in your life, when you have somebody like Bobby in your life, your life changes beyond measure. She lifts you. She supports you. She makes you realize that there is something even bigger than you. And when you're down, when you feel like there's nowhere to go, like you can't even go any further down, she lifts you up. And this new book that she's put together called Breaking Through, Reinventing After Failure is a must read for everybody. And Bobby and I are going to talk today about that whole concept about reinventing after failure, failure and success. So, Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks, Laura, for that wonderful introduction. I'm so glad to be here with you again today. Uh, You know, anytime I get a chance to talk to you, I always feel shifts happening in me. But beyond that, I always feel like I just get a big hug. And you couldn't be in the studio today, but I know I'm getting a hug. (laughs) You are getting a virtual hug. I love hugs. So So your journey has been such an incredible one from, from the depths to the heights to the depths to the heights, but always with this level of peace throughout that process, at least on the surface, right? And I know that, and reading inside in the book, some of your own stories in there. I know that it wasn't always like that. So what made you decide to put together a book about failure? Well, I think it's perspective. Um, many of the times, and for myself, sometimes failure just held me back. I hit this wall and I just stayed there wallowing and feeling sorry for myself or whatever. And I don't like that place. Uh, um, so I would always dig in and read a book or go talk to somebody or get a mentor, find out how to get breakthrough. And so I really felt like it was important that probably other people are going through the same thing. Breaking through that failure and realizing that, you know, failure has to just be looked at as a lesson and it has to be an opportunity to make a change because there's been people that have failed much worse than I have and they're much, you know, they've achieved such great things, you know, and I use several people in the book to talk about examples. I mean, I just, I love Edison's. I've found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb, you know. Um, Those are the things that today people wouldn't be allowed to fail 10,000 times. I mean, his company would have gone bankrupt or somebody would have said, you know, hey, you're out of here. (laughs) Forget about it. But we have the luxury of looking at our failures in a different light. Um, I use an example in the book um, about a friend of mine who I met after my divorce. And she said, well, I grew up in a household where people were encouraging me to fail. 
And I looked at her like, what? And so every night they came around at the dinner table, she and her brother had to tell their parents what they failed at that day. And the reason for that was to say, well, what did you learn by that? You know, um, you know, I tried out for cheerleading and I really stunk. Well, you know, did you enjoy the cheerleading part of it or is it something you want to pursue? Do you know you can, you know, I mean, what did you, what'd you learn? And the nights when they didn't fail, the parents were disappointed because it meant they didn't try something new. And I was like, wow, what a perspective, you know, what a great way to look at it. And, I mean, it took me seven years to finally start dating again after my divorce. So I was not a quick learner. It took me a long time. But I was ready by the time I met Gary, and we got married six weeks after our divorce was final, you know, after, after we met on a blind date. So it really, you know, it changes everything when you get to the place where you can move on. And that's the whole thing about reevaluating re- your failures. Do you think there's a difference in the types of failures, whether your failure is what can be perceived as a public failure or whether it's a private failure? Um, no, not really, uh, Laura, because we internalize the failure. Um, whether it is a personal one that nobody else knows about, it can still stop you from trying to do something else. You can you second-guess yourself. I call the bricks in the wall the self-talk. No, you're not worth it. No, you can't do it. Um, you know, you're just going to fail at that. You, you know, you'll never be a success at that. I mean, all of those things are the, the things that really create that brick. And, you know, and, and each one of those bricks builds up to make you afraid to keep trying. And so without being able to overcome, you know, if, if somebody, if it's a public failure, you know, maybe you feel recrimination or maybe somebody, you know, comes against you or you're, you're feel bad because you've disappointed other people, but it all comes down to you disappoint yourself and you have to figure it out. You've got to figure it out uh, whether or not that disappointment is holding you back literally from doing something great. What did you learn? You know, if you didn't learn anything, then it's a failure. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you didn't figure something better out about yourself, then, then it's a failure. Not That's the only time. You said something that really just made me start rethinking my definition of failure. You said disappoint yourself or perhaps mm-hmm. disappoint others. So is that, how do you define failure? Well, I, you know, obviously with writing the book, looked at it in several different ways, but to me it was coming down to, I had a, I had a goal, I had a dream, I had an expectation and I didn't make to that expectation. I didn't live up to that expectation. I didn't achieve that expectation. So that to me was a failure. But, when other people would look at it, you know, it's like, well, I wanted to create a great business. Well, they looked at that and, you know, I got all kinds of accolades and entrepreneur magazines, home-based business of the year and the women in business advocates for the state of Minnesota. And it's like, so when that business quote unquote failed, to me, that was a huge personal as well as, you know, other people's perception. You know, and so it was a matter of fighting back and figuring out, okay, well, what did I learn by that? What what could I have done differently? In, you know, and the things that happened in that particular failure, 
I couldn't have presented presented it. You know, I mean, unless there was just one, um, and that's one of the reasons I got into the business I am now is helping customers get paid. You know, instead of doing invoicing 30, 60, 90 days, I tell people, you know, don't be the bank. You know, get, take your money now. Even if it's at a discount, take your money now. So that, how do you do that? Well, you take credit cards, you know. So it comes down to figuring out what could I have done. That's the only thing I could have done, you know, because I had somebody default, declare bankruptcy, owing me a half million dollars, owing my business a half million dollars. Well, if I had taken payment up front or at the time of the sale, instead of invoicing them and giving them time, I would have been fine. You know, so I really talk seriously to business owners now and ask them to rethink their way of doing business, you know, in order to help themselves be more um, proactive as well as productive as well as profitable. Which is interesting because it's a perspective change, as you said. I mean, when you had your business of technical training and, and getting some of the top trainers in the world in to teach technical material at training centers around the world, the way people did business with corporations and stuff like that was you build 30, 60, right. 90 days and, and you, you just trusted they would pay. Right. It, it's not something that you would have expected to happen. I know when I had my tech company, I had uh, one company go bankrupt on me, declare Chapter mm-hmm. 11, and mm-hmm. thank God we got notified just slightly beforehand so we could go in and remove some equipment that was ours, that wasn't even theirs. It was ours right. that we were, right. you know, setting some stuff up for. But it, it, and we had somebody else who got investigated by the FBI and all the equipment went and then they just said, well, we can't pay you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, things exactly. that you can't plan for. And the funny part is I never thought of those as failures, right? Other than, say, mm-hmm. a failure in, in judgment. But when I looked at it, I went... Well, you know, they'd been paying on time. Everything had been fine. We, you know, and then right. just bam, something happened. Mm-hmm. Should I have been mm-hmm. less naive? But that's how you just did business back then. Yeah. People didn't I know. accept credit yep. cards, you know. Exactly. Well, it comes down to no matter what, sometimes we have to get out of our own way. You have to look at things differently. You know, I just I use the example all the time when I'm speaking is, is that Kodak discovered digital photography, but they didn't think it was worthwhile. And eventually they became bankrupt and out of business. So how does that happen? Well, it's just because you don't think outside the box. You don't recognize things for what they are. You've got to stop, you know, I mean, in Detroit, people thought everything was great because everybody they saw drove a Ford or a Chevy, you know, (laughs) they the rest of the world wasn't doing that. You know, they need to drive outside of their hometown, you know. So it comes down to you've got to reevaluate all the time and be aware of what's going on, you know. So the Netflix of the world, the Amazons putting retailers out of business all over the place, you know, I mean, it just comes down to you can't live in a bubble. You've got to re-ask your questions. And it's usually the young up-and-comers, the little people that you don't expect that are going to be the ones that are going to, you know, create the havoc in your life. All right. And that's the perfect note to go into our first commercial break. Who's creating havoc in your life and how do you define failure? When we come back, we have more from Bobby Gavanis. 
And we were just talking about failure. I think it's important since we've defined failure in a couple of ways. How do you define success? And again, I think for it depends on personal. You know, everybody else can think you're a great success. If you aren't feeling that, what you have to understand is what is your goal? And when you've achieved your goal, you're a success. Now, that doesn't mean you stop. You know, you just set new goals. So you want to look at and appreciate it for that moment. <laughs> you're woohoo, and then the next day you start off on the new goal, you know, because we nobody can stay at a level of success. You know, you have to keep creating and recreating yourself and finding out what's the next place you want to be because otherwise we're not motivated to make any changes and that comes right back down to the failure part of it because then when you're not motivated to make a change you don't and that's when you get caught have you ever had a situation in your life where you felt like you were a failure but everybody else thought you were a success (laughs) Um, if you ask my husband that's a daily occurrence um (laughs) By the way, shout out to Gary, one of my dearest Gary, friends. Yeah, he he um, he's constantly reprimanding me on that topic because I really do drive myself very hard um, to continue to grow and to keep reaching out. But I also, I mean, I never seem to do that for anybody else. You know, I mean, I'm always encouraging them. And so it comes down to, again, you have to just be self-aware enough to go, you know, that's that's pretty cool. You know, I mean, I became the president of an organization, a nonprofit organization, and during the four years that I was involved in and continue to be involved, we've gone from giving away $15,000 to $60,000 in three years. Well, you know, to me, that's... You know, just not enough. <laughs> I want to do more. You know, and when people are going, um, you know, you kind of quadruple the amount, and you know, what do you do? You know what I mean? So, other people would perceive that as success, and I would be like, well, I wanted to hit eighty thousand. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying. You're just constantly putting that carrot in front of yourself to to drive yourself a little further, but and come to that grace. Because it's all grace, you know, it comes to that grace where you feel that you are doing something, you are making a difference, you are creating a positive situation, but you want to live that each and every moment, you know, each and every day, every second of the day. So you find yourself basking in what God really is calling you to do, and that's success to me. Is that what you mean when in the book you talk about the blessings of hitting bottom? Yeah, I, I really loved that. Um, one of our authors, Kathleen Peters, that was the name of her chapter, um, you really don't recognize how good you are or how good you have it or what your life is about until you start to, you know, really look around and assess. And then you go, well, I'm not really happy here. You know, I've just been approached to have... Um, to be a mentor for a woman who said, you know, I'm just really not happy here. And I'm like, well, where would you be happy? You know, you got to ask yourself those questions. You know, if this is not your dream, then what is your dream? Where do you want to be? Um, then without identifying that, you can never get there. You know, I mean, so you just have that 
and I call it that angst. And they say that 80% of the people in the United States have that angst. They're just not very happy. And it's like, that's a terrible place to be. So if you're not just bouncing out of bed in the morning going, today's going to be a great day, you've got something to look at. You know, and everybody has something that they need to look at. I really believe that. You know, so we find out whether it's in a relationship with our spouse or whether it's our job or whether it's our kids or, you know, what... Something is rotten in Denmark, and we just have to find it. It's like if you have a bad smell in your house, you just kind of keep looking around for it until you figure out, oh, a mouse died behind the wall, or, you know, somebody spilled something and didn't clean it up, or, you know, I mean, something happened. You've got to figure out what, and then change it. That's an important point to to talk about, you know, the the questions and the changing you know, I'm a big fan of questions. I mean, the whole show Absolutely. is called, it's all about questions, right? Absolutely. What advice do you have for my listeners who are not able or willing to ask themselves that question and, and actually ask the question but give themselves some answers or ask other people and get some answers to help them shift? What would be your advice You and I have always been in agreement on the five why, and if we take and say, you know, I'm not really happy right now, and we say, well, why? Well, you know, I'm not as successful as I'd like to be. Well, why? Well, I'm not willing to work as hard as I could. Well, why? Well, I really value my time with my children. Well, there's no thing that can change that. You know, so you have to adjust. Because if you get right down to it, I want to spend more time with my kids, then that's a sacrifice. You know, you can't do both. And so the, um, or else, well, you can start saying, well, what about getting the kids involved in your business or getting them involved? I have a friend who wanted to get her PhD and she runs a nonprofit. And every day, I mean, she works in the morning. And then she gets to her nonprofit at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and works with 75 kids to keep them off the streets and doing something productive and a lot of times doing their homework. And so she decided she was going to go ahead and apply and go take her classes, and she did her homework with the kids. Now, instead of saying, I can't do it because I'm working two full-time jobs, which she was, she incorporated her Ph.D. into working with the kids and did homework with the kids. So, number one, it's a great example for them that a black woman could go back to school and get her Ph.D., and she managed to do two things at one time. So, it really, if you figure out what the reason is, then you've got an opportunity to fix the problem. My guest on my show last week, Brandon Webb, and I know you, you listened to that show. Mm-hmm. Love that, yeah. He he's just so inspirational. He and John David Mann uh, they wrote the book The Killing School, and there have been many others, including The Red Circle. But one of the things that Brandon talked about was people didn't really stand by him when he was at the bottom, right? No. You think this yeah. amazing Navy SEAL sniper, the guy who rewrote the training curriculum for Navy SEAL sniper school, uh, who now runs a hundred million dollar company. He said when he was 
sitting alone in the house that was going to be taken away from him because he was bankrupt and his business failed after he had left the Navy. There was nobody there. And then all of a sudden, everybody wanted to basically be around him as things got more successful. Have you seen that happen? Well, again, I really believe that we are the five people we hang around with the most. And I tell people all the time, you have to fire friends that are not going to be good for you and that do not support you. Um, Sometimes, you know, it's okay. You know, one of the things I did in my business every year on my birthday was fire my worst or most troublesome customer and just would say to them, you know, I think it's time for our relationship to come to an end. And I didn't say you were paying the ass. No, I said, <laughs> but, you know, I just think it's probably best. You know, I've had a couple of them that just didn't want to leave. And I was like, I'm sorry, but we're really, you know, I just don't think our, our missions align or whatever it was, but I finally just said no. So it's important for you to understand that if you're surrounding yourself with people that are only there because you're successful, then you need to get rid of them. You know, I mean, they need to be gone. And in your interview with Brandon, he did that. I mean, basically then, you when you come out of that, you're much more aware of the people that you are putting back into your life. Because then you are only seeking the people that are going to help you grow as a person, that are going to balance your goals against you know, what you want to achieve as well as what they want to achieve. It's got to be mutually beneficial. And I do think a lot of times people want to be around the people that are winners, but they're not bringing anything. You know, they just want to suck. You know, they just want to be the takers. And you can't allow yourself to do that because you have to be challenged and lifted up at the same time all the time. You need to be around people that are going to tell you the truth but support you. Absolutely. If, if you can't, for some reason, see the truth that moment. Exactly. And there's many times that we can be blinded, especially when we're successful. You know, I mean, you surround yourself with yes people. Again, it comes back to the codex and the, and the people in the world that, you know, nobody was saying to them, yeah, maybe you should look at this, you know. Or have you thought about the fact that, you know, the Toyotas are creeping up in the in the, in the car population elsewhere you know just because they weren't in Detroit doesn't mean they're not elsewhere so you have to be have somebody that's not afraid to say that to you yeah, that's one of the things I love about the show is I get to introduce people that my listeners to people like you who just by listening to you on the show hopefully it's going to shake up people's perceptions and we're going to go into the news break in a moment but I'd like everybody to think about this as we go into the the news break do you want to be the 3M who the mistake that became post-its is what drove them or Kodak who didn't see digital photography? We'll be right back with more from Bobby Gavanis, author of Breaking Through, Reinventing After Failure. Welcome back, everyone that is listening to us live on iHeartRadio and WAXE. We are here with Bobby Gavanis, who has just recently put together the anthology book and also written chapters in it, Breaking Through, Reinventing After Failure. Bobby, during the commercial break, the news break, we were just talking about something that for a lot of people would have actually stopped them from getting this book published up up on the Kindle platform and stuff. You said in, to upload it, it was like 25 tries or something to get it, no, it was, to look it was properly? 37. It was 37, Laura. 37. Okay. So a lot 37. of people, that would have been like, I'm done after five. 
<laughs> yeah, I just, I mean, I really, um, I really wanted this to be accessible to a lot of people because it's different from buying a 20 book book. I mean, if $1.99, you can download it and, and, uh, read it and we put that price for the launch, you know, but it just, to me, it gives opportunity to people that wouldn't go out and purchase their hardback or a, even a paperback book at 20 bucks, you know, so it's like you really want people to have an opportunity, especially something like this, where I really think it can make a difference. I mean, and have had several people that have read it say it really touched them and it really made a difference in what they were viewing in their life right now. So I look at that and I think, well, I'm going to keep trying until we figure it out. And, you know, it, as you said, some of the uh, stuff didn't go quite as well as I expected. I'm, I'm frustrated here, but um, it does make a difference. You know, if you've got something you want to put in people's hands, you just keep working on it. So It's so true. You have to keep working on it. At what point, though, from all of these stories that you've that have been submitted that are in this book, and from other books you've written, you know, How to Pilot When We Were Raised to Be Stewardesses, Reinventing Your Life with Passion and Purpose. That's another anthology. Discover Your Destiny, Live Your Dreams, Love Your Life, Expert Tips on Creating Abundance, Joy, and Success, and, and the Reinvention Retreat at Sea, which is so cool that you've founded and run. Have you seen any common threads about when people have to decide, okay, you know, I've done my 10,000. This isn't a good idea. It's just not going to work. We need to shift directions. Well, see, that's part of the business plan. You know, I mean, and you have a life plan, you have a business plan. And so if, like my friend who went back and got her PhD, if she wasn't able to do that, if the kids didn't respond the way that they the way that she had hoped they would. You know, I mean, they allow her to work right alongside them instead of demanding her constant attention. Well, then it would she would have had to forego that dream. You know, you, you just have to adjust as you're going. But you have to give it a fair enough try. And so I look at it like, okay, well, a year, you know, or I've spent X amount of time, you know, for the reinvention retreat we're coming up now on our fourth year and you know each time we learn something new i adjust as we go but the important thing for people to recognize is that you're taking and committing time for yourself we can't force you to reinvent yourself you have to do it you know i i'm working with a woman who was actually on the retreat in march this year and she really didn't want to focus while she was there. She wanted to party and be on a cruise. And and now she's coming back to me and saying, you know, I really need your help. I really do. And I'm like, well, okay, let's pull out the book. Let's work backwards and say, okay, what did you learn at this one? And you attended this session but missed this one. Let's talk about that session because I think that would have made a huge difference for you. You know, so, again, you cannot lead a horse to water and make them drink. People have to be hungry enough for some for some change. And so if they pick up a book about, you know, failure, they pick up a book about, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've read hundreds of books in the last, well, since I, you know, and I talk to people that say, I, I haven't read a book since college. And I'm like, you are the five people you spend the most time with and the books you read. That's what happens. 
if you don't expose yourself to more and better ways of thinking, you will stay back in college, <laughs> which is not a bad place to be, but then, you know, life keeps happening, and that's how you miss those cues that are put in front of you, those, those little, you know, flashing lights that say, you know, turn here, you're going to miss those because you've got your head down, you're not paying attention, you're not reading, you're not exposing yourself to new ideas, and then you're going to eventually, you know, a year, two years, three years down the road go, well, how did I get here? You know, this is not a good place where I am now, and I'm not happy. Well, of course you're not. You know, I mean, you missed the cues. You missed the signs. You missed the opportunities to make some changes, and we need to make sure that we're paying attention. And that the people around you are helping you to pay attention. Exactly. Exactly. I, I've been working with some people recently, and one of them posted something up on Facebook that really irritated me. And I, I had to think about why it irritated me. I'll get to that in a second. But one, it was a very judgy post on Facebook, basically saying, you know, I'm tired of working with people or people just want to take from me. They they want the ideas, but they can't seem to do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a rant and it just went on and on and on. And what I heard in it, what I what I saw in it, was somebody who was frustrated because somebody wasn't getting what they were saying, right? They they mm-hmm. couldn't make that, what I call, switch from, in my brain, I know what I should be doing, but in that soul, in that heart, I don't have that spark that actually gives me the energy to do it. Okay. Jeff Olson and John David Mann put, wrote the book Slight Edge, where they talk about, you know, read 10 mm-hmm. pages of a, yeah. a development book every day, Or, you know, instead of hitting the snooze button, get up and start your day. Little, little slight edge moments, one macro at a time, one step at a time. What disturbed me was this idea that somebody should just listen and be able to do. (laughs) Yeah. No, there has to be a, there's a process. I mean, and again, when I tell people about marketing, they say between 7 and 15 times before your product even sinks into the radar of somebody, exposure to your message. And so if you're thinking one time and they're going to switch, you're wrong. You know, I mean, it's just not going to happen. So that if you use the 7 to 15 times theory, well, (laughs) and there's lots of ways to do that. I mean, there's lots of exposure. Um, You can email, you can have a Facebook post, you can have, and so maybe she was trying to voice that in that, I need you to pay attention. If I'm going to help you, I need you to pay attention. And that's a true statement, but you cannot force, like I said before, you can't force a horse to drink water when you let him to the creek. You know, this is, it's here, that's, it's available, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And sometimes it has to be a different voice that triggers for that person. Les Brown is, exactly. is somebody yeah, I see. One of my favorites. Oh, mm-hmm. I just love and adore that man. He's so brilliant. And his daughter, Ona yeah. Brown. And one yeah. of the things he said when I, I heard him in an event that Bob Berg had put together several years ago was he said, you could have a thousand voices all saying the exact same words, but in that moment, Five people may grab from one person 
10 people mm-hmm. may get what that other person is saying. And it's a matter of it has to be the right voice at the right time. Sure. It could be the same message, but maybe it's just said slightly differently, but you're ready in that moment. Mm-hmm. So with your... and that, it, it, It's the moment. I mean, and it, it, I say you're, you're never standing in the same river twice. You know, so the water keeps going by you, which brings different silt and rocks and all that kind of stuff. So every time you hear something, you're a changed person, you know, from yesterday or today. That's why scripture is so cool. You can read the same scripture a hundred times, and all of a sudden it hits you. Oh, my gosh, this is what this means to my life. You know, and so it's like, okay, well, now it's time for you to do something with that, you know. (laughs) So for listeners that may be sitting on the couch sitting in a job they hate, wallowing after a divorce. I know that for me, um, it's been three years since my my second divorce, and I'm just beginning to come out of it, realizing Mm -hmm. the depression I was in, and and some of it was um, body-balancing chemicals due to the menopause thing. But Mm -hmm. I just was ashamed, right, because Mm -hmm. I talked about it on stage. So what would you say before we go into the last commercial break to somebody who's sitting there on that couch feeling that failure? I, I like to look back at Sarah Berknock and say, excavate. When were you last happy? At what time? And if you have to go all the way back to your childhood, when and what made you happy? And what were you doing at that time? And what were you dreaming at that time? And if that's the case, then you can figure out, okay, this is a starting point, and then I can work from that, you know. And so you try to bring some of that joy back into your life first. Because if you don't, <laughs> you know, you don't figure out where there was joy at one time, then how will you ever know what you're feeling it again, you know. you got to really understand, you know, because we've, like I said, been in angst for so long, then all of a sudden you don't really recognize when you feel good. You know, I mean, it's like, hmm, that happens in grief. It happens in, you know, I mean, and all of a sudden one day you feel like, I can breathe again. You know, those are the things that you have to identify and mark those down and say, what triggered that? Was it a song? Was it a, you know, somebody's smile? Was it going into a place, a smell? You know, what made you feel good? And then how do you you keep that in your life? I love that. This made me think of... uh a great tweet that somebody could do. Failure is a moment. You always have another chance for success. That's right. You just made me think of that, that Mm -hmm. most of us tend to think of failure as a longer term thing. No, it's just a moment in time. What you do in that next moment is what matters. Is what matters. And we'll be Mm -hmm. right back with more from Bobby Gavanis. I have a quote in the book. um, What is the worst that can happen? And you suggest that readers ask themselves that before embarking on a new path. Why do you suggest that? Bobby, are you there? And I'm here. Okay, great. I can hear you now. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Um, I would tell people to always ask that question um, personal before they make a big decision. And it's because if they anticipate what could what's the worst thing that can happen and they can live with that, then, okay, let's go. You know, I mean, if they anticipate that's something that they just can't handle, then they shouldn't do it. You know, I mean, so it really comes down to, well, what's the worst that could happen? Well, we could lose the house. 
you know, well, we started with nothing when we got married. We can, you know, we can handle it. You know, we, we know, you know, but if we say we lose the house, well, no, we can't do that then. You know, I mean, some people put that, that could be the worst case scenario and it could be, oh my God, no, I can't do that. Or it could be, yeah, I can handle it, you know, and so... Whenever you make a decision, whether it's starting a new business, whether you're going to buy a new mattress, whether you're going to, you know, I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, I mean, if you don't like it, are they going to take it back? No. Okay, you're stuck with it. Well, what's the worst thing that's happen? You know, it really helps you to figure out, can I live with these consequences? It, it's similar to what Brandon Webb talked about when they revamped the Navy SEAL sniper program where they talk about mitigating risk and astronaut Chris Hadfield in his book, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth, talks about you need to run through all the worst case scenarios so that you're prepared for them and you can figure out a way to work around that if that were to happen or say, well, you know, I'm not willing to deal with that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if our people to use the astronaut example, if they were not willing to die to go through to the moon, then they would not have made a good astronaut because it's a happen it could happen. You know, I mean it could happen. I loved Apollo thirteen and what the wife went through watching. You know, I mean he was handling it up there, but his wife was watching and trying to figure out, well what's the worst how can I handle it? You know, and so we all have to understand that there is a worst case scenario and it happens sometimes, you know, like in our businesses when people that we trusted did went declared bankruptcy. Well it ended up that I lost my house and I lost my business, you know. So it does you know, you just have to accept that that is the worst case scenario and if you can't live with it then don't go. Don't don't start the business. Don't put yourself at risk, because if you're going to lose yourself in the process, it's not worth it. What was on the other side for you of that blessing of hitting that bottom of losing the house, the business, um, all of those pieces? What in reflection now was the blessing for you in all of that? It's really very freeing to realize that you don't need stuff. (laughs) You know, you enjoy stuff but you don't need it. I mean, our marriage survived, our kids still love us, my, you know, we're a little worse for the wear as far as stress levels, but um, we managed. And, you know, it has changed the way we approach things. We're much more generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. We give um, people a chance that we probably were not thinking you know, I mean, this guy on the street, why is he on the street? Well, it could have been he had the same experience as you. He just wasn't as fortunate, you know. So I look at that in a whole different light. I mean, it helps me to be a better person because of that, quote-unquote, failure. And a benefit to everybody else around because you ended up moving to Florida and you've been a blessing to me when I made the move down here and to so many other people whose lives have been significantly changed because of that failure mm-hmm. you've changed lives around the world well I, yeah i probably would never have started some of the things that i've started and I definitely wouldn't have done a reinvention retreat because when i was running my business it was five million dollar annual sales i was pretty busy you know i wouldn't have had time so i think we look at things you know as 
uh, well, how am I going to deal with that? And that was terrible. But you have a new opportunity always to reinvent yourself and give yourself an opportunity and others an opportunity to change and grow because of what happened to you. So. Now, how do people find this book, Breaking Through, Reinventing After Failure, and reach out to you if they have questions or, or need some help? Sure. Um, it's on Amazon. Uh, like I said, we're doing the $1.99 um, Kindle launch. You can order the book um, in paperback as well. But Bobby Govanis, I am the only one in the whole country, probably in the whole world, because there's not very many other Govanises. It's probably 15. You can count them on two hands and a foot. <laughs> so G-O-V-A-N-U-S, as in Sam, and... Uh, my Bobby email, yeah, if you wanted to get in touch with me, is bobby at marketingmaven, M-R-K-T-G-M-A-V-E-N dot com. Okay, say that one more time. Sure, it's bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at M as in Mary, R as in Ralph, K as in Kite, T as in Thomas, G as in God, maven, M-A-V-E-N dot com. And the book's available on Amazon. And all the, if somebody buys the paperback, all the profits go to um, charity, right? Yes, it goes to the Women's Executive Council for scholarships for women. I love that. I think that is just so beautiful that you do that. Last thoughts that you'd like to share with my listeners, Bobby? I guess I really want to encourage people to fail. You know, keep trying new things. Um, you might not fail, you know. I mean, uh, they always say, you know, the ship's not built to stay on the shore. You have to leave. You have to push out and go in order to um, really achieve your purpose. And when you do that, sometimes there'll be failures, but use that as a guiding light to where you're supposed to go next, where you, you know, what have I learned from this? What am I going to, and use it as an assessment piece. Because when you do that, then you're going to be ready for the next opportunity. I tell people every job I ever had prepared me for owning my own business. Every time, you know, in my life, it prepared me for writing a book. And I believe everybody has a book in them. Everyone has a story to tell. So you have to just keep watching and see where I end up. But I tell people, you're going to end up someplace wonderful as long as you keep trying and putting yourself out there. And for that moment when they can't see the other side, what would you say? The, you have to then ask a friend. <laughs> you know, the, you'll ask a friend or cap on somebody else and say, I'm having a hard time visualizing past this moment. If you can't do that, you need to ask someone else who you trust, who is has a little bit bigger vision than you do, because they'll be able to see that the traits that you have, the opportunity that you have in front of you is not what's, what your destiny is. You know, it may be that you need to pivot. And if that's the case, they are the ones that are going to be able to tell you that. Um, I'd say that if you're, something is it's blocking your path, do we need to change or do we need to break the wall? And getting somebody else's opinion in that who knows you, who knows you, and I have to stress that, who really knows and you. That, and that's where we're going to have to end the show. So everybody, if you want more from that, reach out to Bobby. But remember, everyone, the right been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. 
Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 